Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Thank you for joining us for another Nature Reliance Media Podcast. We are adding sponsors and affiliate partnerships all the time, so be sure and check our website for an updated list. Going forward, we need your help. Be sure and like and follow the podcast, give us a great review, share with friends and family, and consider becoming a monthly sponsor. If there is a topic you wish for us to cover, please send us a message. Hey there, and welcome to another podcast for the Nature Reliance Media. Thank you for joining me. If you haven't listened to part one of this two-part series, then I suggest you jump back and look or listen in on part one of the Dark and Bloody Ground podcast. Today, I'm going to dig into part two. In part one, what we discovered is how this myth of the Dark and Bloody Ground came about here in Kentucky. And for those that are listening here, I'm a Kentucky boy, Craig Cottle. I'm your host of the Nature Reliance Media Podcast. Uh, Oftentimes, I co-host along with my good friend, Tracy Trimble. We do things together. Sometimes he does things on his own as well. So thank you for joining me here today as we dig into part two of Kentucky, the dark and bloody ground and the myths that surround it. So where I left you in part one is where exactly this idea of the dark and bloody ground concept or mindset or myth came about. And what I want to do now is dig into why the daggone myth continues today in the modern world. Why does this myth simply persist? Now, again, if you didn't check out part one, I'll say this again. It's worthy of your time to check these resources out. I'll have resources linked in the description below or the podcast associated with or the blog post associated with this podcast. And I want you to I want you to check that out because uh, I'm borrowing heavily from a, a, a small blog piece that Miss Gwen Henderson wrote. And I talked about Gwen and all of her credentials in part one. So listen again in on that. And this blog comes from an actual larger book. I started doing research on this topic because I was interested in the subject matter. And then I found that basically what I wanted to create for a podcast, Gwen had already put together right here. So I'm sharing what she's put together. She's done all the research and she's a good researcher. And you'll understand why if you dig into her background. 
But this, yeah, this myth persists today that this is a dark and bloody ground, Kentucky is. Now, this is despite the fact that Kentucky is simply the name, really, of a political entity that was created in 1792. There are a number of places throughout the state of Kentucky that refer to Indians. And despite the fact that there are no similar myth applies to indigenous heritage of most of the states that surround Kentucky, for example, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, or Tennessee, there's nothing there that says that native peoples never lived in those states. But for some reason, it's persisted in this time and this day that Native American people did not live here in Kentucky, and it was just a huge place for a hunting ground as well as a place for people to fight and kill one another. Now, there's some reasons that it persists. One of them is that basically there's no tribal lands that have been set aside as reservations in Kentucky, and almost every state has some. I mean, if you weren't aware, most people think that a lot of the, most of the Indian reservations are way out west in the, you know, some Dust Bowl sort of setting or whatnot. There's Indian reservations throughout the country in several different locations. Another thing is that there are a lot of references to the dark and bloody ground in children's books, scholar books, as well as journals, textbooks and history books. I remember my eighth grade textbook. I can still still see the cover of my eighth grade textbook. I, I should have known at that time in my life or a little bit later on as I went into college that I, I should have got into history or something because I absolutely love history. I mean, I, I mean, how many of you all can remember what the cover of your eighth grade history book looked like? I was so into that book. Man, I love that book because I love Kentucky history. I ended up taking Kentucky history when I was at the University of Kentucky, too, uh, under the tutelage of both Dr. Lowell Harrison as well as uh, Dr. Clark that's so famous here in Kentucky. There's any number of books that still refer to the dark and bloody ground, and they and when people read it, they don't know what I shared with you in part one. And so they just think, hey, it is basically a fighting area. And another reason is, and this will be the last reason, is that there's just simply a lack of information to people about the rich Native American history and culture that existed here in the state of Kentucky. Now, living archaeological weekend that happens in the Red River Gorge is one of the things that just debunks a lot of stuff. It's one of the most fantastic uh, opportunities to go learn about Native American history. Our good friend Doug Meyer, uh, that's been such a mentor for us here at Nature Reliance School, is uh, he does blowguns there. So if you've ever been to Living Archaeological Weekend, which a lot of people just call Law, Living Archaeological Weekend, uh, Johnny Faulkner, who is another mentor of mine, he's the one of the originators of, of Law, and you will usually find him at Law doing. Uh, flint napping or some variation of it. Sometimes the atlatls. Uh, there's atlatl throwing there. There's people that do a lot of stuff with cattails. There's baskets. There are structures. There's cooking. There's all sorts of things that happen at Living Archaeological Weekend that would help many people understand some of the cultural heritage that we have here. And that is just stuff that's really focused on that segment of the world. Now, Native peoples have done a lot of different things, but a lot of what you'll see recreated there is just, man, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's always in, always in the fall, I think, October. Now, the simple truth is this, is that in all other states' situation in the Ohio River drainage, Native peoples arrived in Kentucky about 12,000 years ago, and their descendants are still here. If you talk to people in Kentucky on a regular basis, 
at some point in time, nearly half the people in Kentucky will say that they've got some sort of Cherokee blood in them. And for the most part, that's bullcrap, right? But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of descendants of different native peoples that still exist and live here in Kentucky. And they lived here for extended periods of time. And some of them were full on native, you know, 100% Native American blood that lived here in Kentucky and still do today. And so it's one of those things that it's just not widely known, unfortunately. It's one of the reasons I wanted to share this information. Now, there's been a tremendous amount of research and, and archaeological digs that have been made in every county in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Basically, there's documented evidence of permanent indigenous inhabitants uh, all the way from the earliest migratory hunters late in the Ice Age to their hunter-gatherer descendants to the mound-building time gardeners who traded with distant people for copper and marine shell. And there's just all kinds of indicators in the archaeological digs and surveys and research that tell us that these people lived here permanently. Now, I remember several years ago at Living Archaeological Weekend, they, they'll have a theme. And, and it may have been, man, it's, I was going to say it's about four or five years ago, but it's probably, it's probably about 15 years ago now. They had a real focus in on sunflowers, the earliest species that we now know as a sunflower and its effect on native peoples and stuff of that, that nature. One of the things that's shared is the idea of the three sisters gardening, which is basically where you plant corn and the corn stalk goes up and you have beans that grow up the stalk of the corn that you can utilize the corn stalk as, a, as something where the vining beans can grow up. And you also cover the ground with something, some sort of gourd or pumpkin or something of that nature, three sisters gardening. And they found evidence of this. And man, I really looked hard again for where this came from. And if somebody knows where I can find the research on this, please shoot us a message here on Anchor. Uh, that would be real easier. Just shoot me an email at info at naturereliance.org. Because I read something about a year ago where evidence of that was discovered in a shelter in what is now known as Menifee County, Kentucky. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. You like this podcast, don't you? And you're thinking about doing a podcast yourself. Let me tell you how easy it is to do this with Anchor. First off, the money's right. It's free. Zero cost. Secondly, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Bonus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's one of those things that People were living here, and they were burning off and, and skimming off the tops of these ridges, and they were growing crops on them and living in the shelters below them. There's all sorts of evidence of that. Uh, again, I mentioned Johnny Faulkner earlier. Johnny Faulkner spent a career at the uh, U.S. Forest Service, uh, Daniel Boone National Forest, doing archaeological survey and study on petroglyphs and tools and all the things that they found in these shelters, and just so much evidence is there that people lived here permanently. Now, one of the things that we know is that there were some of these towns 
that held upwards of like 1,000 people. Like one of them is, I never can remember the, how to pronounce this Shawnee word, but is here in Clark County, Kentucky, out in in the Kidville area. And there's a lot of historical marker signs out there that show where that area was. The ground out there, golly, the ground out there is incredibly rich ground. And we taught classes very near that part of the world for a very long time before we moved over to Menifee County, where we are now teaching classes. The number of groups that we have evidence of existing here in Kentucky and living here in permanent, if not semi-permanent settlements are Shawnee, Cherokee, Miami, Tulo, and still others that called Kentucky home. I mean, lots of them. It's not just the Shawnee area here we have in Clark County. One of the things that happens is that these myths are just perpetuated despite the fact that there's a considerable amount of facts and research out there that tell us about it. And as long as people distrust those who are different from themselves, and as long as dominant groups refuse to see the value of all ways of life, it's going to continue to perpetuate. It's still going to stay there. The myth is still going to be there. Now, the myth of Kentucky as a dark and bloody ground is, is just straight up, it's just not valid. It doesn't apply neither to the entirety of the Commonwealth nor to the complete expanse of its native past. These are all words that, that Gwen has written here that I'm just sharing with you again. Check out the research below, the links that I'm going to give you. So it's worthy of your consideration to look for the information that's available to all of us on archaeological, uh, what Gwen refers to as ethno-historical and historical sources, exposing this idea of the dark and bloody ground as nothing more than a myth. One item note that's probably worthy of consideration because I've heard people say and read for years that Kentucky literally translates as a dark and bloody ground. Now, there's basically no single etymology for the name Kentucky as we know it and how we know it's spelled. Uh, in, in a lot of different references early on, it was spelled Kentucky with an E at the end instead of a Y, and even Kentucky, uh, which is C-A-N-T-U-C-K-Y. I've seen journals where it was spelled C-A-N-T-U-C-K-E, and any variation of the things that you can imagine it would come off as. One of the first recorded uses of the word is uh, the word Kentucky was used in a deposition describing the capture of a group of traders by Indians allied to the French on January 26 in 1753. Now remember, Kentucky achieved its Commonwealth status in 1792, okay? And they called the place where this capture as Kentucky. And they described the location of this Kentucky as being south of Allegheny River, about 150 miles from Lower Shawnee Town, which sat at the confluence of the Sciota uh, and Ohio Rivers. Where those two rivers come together, which is basically us in Kentucky, up near, you know, more, more closer to the Maysville area of the state and, and north of that. Think about that. That's 1753, you all, and that the first time that that was used was seven, 1753. It's, it's just not, it does not equally translate out as a dark and bloody ground. There's various authors offer a number of opinions concerning the word's origin. Some people say it's an Iroquois word, Kantuck, K-E-N-T-A-K-E, meaning meadowland, or a Wyandot word, which Kantata, meaning the land of tomorrow, or an Algonquin term, Kinathikiki referring to a river bottom. 
or even a Shawnee wording uh, meaning head of a river. But what we do know, in summary, are you listening to me, kids? The name Kentucky does not, I repeat, does not mean a dark and bloody ground in any language. So again, check out the links below because once you check out the link and see this blog that I share there, you'll see that I basically read straight from that blog from Gwen Henderson and added a few thoughts of my own. It's worthy, again, I want to repeat, I said this in part one, if you have interest in these subjects, to pick any resource up you can by Gwen Henderson or she speaks publicly at libraries and different opportunities, look her up. And if you see that she's going to be somewhere, then go jump on it. You know, I went to the Lexington Public Library and it's one of those things that, you know, you have a program in a library. I've taught a lot of library programs. Usually at a program in a library in, in Lexington, you know, I'll have 30 people or something like that. Like up in northern Kentucky and western Kentucky, I'll have 300. But here in central Kentucky, I'll have 25, 30 because there's just too many other things to do here. But when Gwen came and spoke to the library, you had to get tickets to that bad boy. <laughs> you had to get tickets to that that uh, presentation. And it was completely jam-packed and filled up nicely. So with that said, check out Gwen Henderson whenever you get a chance. If you get an opportunity to meet her, chat with her, see what she's got to say about Native American culture and history as it relates to the great Commonwealth of Kentucky. Thanks for joining me as always. Uh, I've been back and forth on about three or four things that I want to talk about Kenton. Here's what's coming up on Kenton because I've already started the bullet point list that I want to go over. I want to discuss the gauntlets without a doubt and the just near miraculous things that he was able to accomplish near death. I also want to cover a story from his earlier, two stories from his early life. The one where he, he thought he killed a man. If you don't know that story, then you need to hear that one. And definitely one of his first forays out as a, as a frontier scout tracker and and uh, trapper, I want to share a, an interesting story of survival from that. So those are going to be coming up soon, and I really appreciate you listening to us here. If you like this, then do me a solid. Share it with your friends and family, and tell them you like it. Go give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, and say a couple words about us. That really helps us out, you all. As always, with Nature Line School, come on, join in. Let's learn together. And that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Blinds podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Blinds School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.